This is the Bitcoin and Markets podcast. My name is Ansel Lindner, and I'm keeping you ahead of the curve in Bitcoin. Hello, Bitcoiners. What's up? Welcome back to a, another episode. You might notice that this is episode 208. 207 is on Patreon. So if you go and support for a dollar a month, you can get access. That episode, it is about libertarian versus state response to this, uh, to a pandemic. So uh, kind of interesting episode. I had fun doing it. And check that out. Okay, today is going to be kind of similar. I mean, the big topic obviously is uh, the virus situation, the CCP virus. Um, I could talk about that. I could talk about the market going down, the infinite QE, uh, all the stuff that's going on with the Fed and the markets in general. Uh, I have touched on that a lot. And if you're following me on Twitter and things, you are going to get a lot of my thoughts throughout the day on that. But I think it's better right now, at least. Uh, I think I want to talk about how it could be different. We, we got here, this is a very fragile system, and how exactly did we get here? And Pierre has a great tweet here. Of course, I link in the show notes. This is Pierre Rochard, the Nakamoto Institute, and the Noted Podcast, and this is what he has to say. If everyone added to their cash balances during the good times, they wouldn't need to beg politicians and central bankers for bailouts during the bad times. But inflation penalizes cash balances. This is why we Bitcoin. Very good tweet. People got caught up with the high time preference. They didn't do their savings the way they should have. This goes for not only individuals, but companies as well. We see all these buybacks, right? They didn't sit on the cash like, say, an Apple. They didn't do that. They actually bought back their stocks. This, is, this has been a big point of conversation um, about these bailouts that are being talked about in the, gov- the U.S. government is that, you know, like Boeing spent something like $80 billion over the last couple of years buying back their stock, and now they want $50 billion bailout. Um, this reminds me of a Daniel Hannon speech. I don't know if you guys are familiar with him. He's a... MEP, or he was an MEP in Brussels from the UK. Uh, and in 2009, right in the height of the financial crisis, uh, Gordon Brown, the Prime Minister of England, came to sit at one of these sessions of the EU Parliament. Um, and so Daniel Hannon got a chance to address his own Prime Minister on the record in public like this, and it was pretty explosive. Of course, I linked to this in the show notes, but I'm just going to play a couple minutes of this here. Because uh, Pierre's tweet did remind me of this. have more moral authority in this house if your actions matched your words. Perhaps you would have more legitimacy in the councils of the world if the United Kingdom were not going into this recession in the worst condition of any G20 country. The truth, Prime Minister, is that you have run out of our money. The country as a whole is now in negative equity. Every British child is born owing around £20,000. Servicing the interest on that debt is going to cost more than educating the child. Now, once again today, you try to spread the blame around. You spoke about an international recession, international crisis. Well, it is true that we are all sailing together into the squalls, but not every vessel in the convoy is in the same dilapidated condition. Other ships used the good years to caulk their hulls and clear their rigging, in other words, to pay off debt. 
but you used the good years to raise borrowing yet further. as a consequence under your captaincy our hull is pressed deep into the waterline under the accumulated weight of your debt. we are now running a deficit that touches ten of gdp an almost unbelievable figure more than pakistan more than hungary countries where the imf has already been called in. it is not that you are not apologising. like everyone else i have long accepted that you are pathologically incapable of accepting responsibility for these things. it is that you are carrying on wilfully worsening our situation wantonly spending what little we have left. Last year, in the last 12 months, 100,000 private sector jobs have been lost and yet you created 30,000 public sector jobs. Prime Minister, you cannot carry on forever squeezing the productive bit of the economy in order to fund an unprecedented engorgement of the unproductive bit. You cannot spend your way out of recession or borrow your way out of debt. And when you repeat in that wooden and perfunctory way that our situation is better than others, that we are well placed to weather the storm, I have to tell you, you sound like a Brezhnev-era apparatchik giving the party line. You know, and we know, and you know that we know that it is nonsense. Everyone knows that Britain is worse off than any other country as we go into these hard times. The IMF has said so. The European Commission has said so. The markets have said so, which is why our currency has devalued by 30%, and soon the voters too will get their chance to say so. They can see what the markets have already seen, that you are the devalued Prime Minister of a devalued government. Yeah, yeah. All right, so that's a great, great video. It, it's just as powerful today. I'm, of course, we're not dealing with the banking thing that we were dealing with back then. In a way, we are, but uh, we're... Even back then in 2009 and 2010 and stuff, you know, we we're saying, okay, this went from a subprime problem. Now we're going to have a sovereign debt problem. And that's kind of what we're seeing. You know, the, 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 at his very last line there about a devalued government, that is what we're dealing with right now. Um, this is a systemic crisis, not just a financial crisis, but a plumbing of the economy crisis. Um, and it has been built on this fragility that, Gold bugs and Bitcoiners have been saying for decades, decades, they've been screaming from the rooftops. P people were calling them names. The PhD economists at the Fed there and in the media, they were just laughing, you know, laugh. There's that famous clip from Peter Schiff, even though, you know, he's kind of turned into a complete gold salesman at this point. But there, there's this clip from him, I believe it was 2000. Ah, 2006, seven. he's saying like this system is going to collapse, you know, we're going to have a major financial crisis and everyone's laughing in his face. That's what we've dealt with for this whole time. Not just Bitcoiners and gold bugs, but preppers in general. Okay. And I think one of the problems with conspiracy theorists, uh, you know, there's so many conspiracies out there, conspiracy theories, and they're rampant on YouTube. They're rampant all over the internet. And one of the reasons is because people could sense the fakeness of the world, the fragility of the world, that there was something not right. Something didn't add up. They had a sixth sense. And so it drove them to look at these conspiracy theories. And they caught on with a lot of people just because they offered an explanation. But the truth is stranger than fiction. This whole system is people trying, uh, I mean, some are very malicious and they know what they're doing. But for the most part, people were fooled into thinking this is the proper way. 
to behave and to run a system. And now it's just become so fragile, right? This is kind of how we got here. And how we go forward, you know, you have to be self-reliant. We have to get more distributed in our hierarchy and our government uh, governance structures. The central planners have to be broken apart um, or at least put in their place. And I think there's actually a really good chance of this happening. A lot of people are scared that this is going to devolve into authoritarianism because we see all of the lockdowns and things like that. But I'm telling you, the U.S. is deglobalizing. When Trump got elected, that was a big signal that the American people, that society, American society wanted to go a different direction. And so we are deglobalizing. We are becoming energy independent and we are doing all these tariffs and things to uh, as protectionism, which I don't agree with, but you can see how that uh, goes with the same sort of feeling. And as, as the mandate of the United States government shrinks, especially after this, like we'll get rid of a lot of different agencies after this. Um, the FDA will be restructured. The CDC will be hopefully kicked out, but um, you know, the entire medical industry will be uh, restructured. The banking system will be restructured and all of this stuff uh, decreases the mandate of the state. And when that happens, they're spending less and it's the government is shrinking, but not because they want to, but because societal changes, the cultural changes are moving this way of shrinking the mandate of government. Okay, uh, what else do we have? So I kind of responded to this. I mean, I tweeted, uh, I don't think I quoted, quoted Pierre, but uh, I thought of this after reading his tweet. You know, globalization, a lot of people will blame capitalism for globalization. And they also blame these robber baron type big business people that are just, um, you know, they want to get profit at any, any possible means. But one of the things that's missing is that monetary profit is not necessarily uh, profit for individual. Value is subjective. It can't be measured by dollars, right? The subjective value that you get from certain decisions um, are based on just your feelings and your own individual valuations of the, the situation and the outcomes, not on the paper profits or the gold profits or the Bitcoin profits. So um, capitalism is about subjective values. Since uh, I have in my notes here, since when did only money register on our value scale, right? Don't we value health? We've been lied to about this. Know, the central parties have corrupted the research and they have corrupted the like the 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 food pyramid is totally uh, detrimental to human health long term and so we've been lied to about our health okay <laughs> don't we value real security we've been lied to about that that we have to be the policemen of the world that we have to abdicate some freedom at home to pay taxes to go take care of stuff abroad that's not real security. Real security is at home with your family, with your friends, with your network of people, your web of trust. All right. We, we've been lied to about that. Don't we value responsibility and the feeling of a hard day's work? We were lied to about that too. We were told it's, it's about your, your salary, about your paycheck, how much money you earn. But doesn't doing a hard day's work actually feel damn good? 
these non-monetary goals that you have, non-monetary feeling and reward, where have those all gone? We've been lied to. We've been told it's about <laughs> the American dream, the white picket fence, the bigger apartment or the bigger condo or vacations or whatever. We've been lied to about this. We've been marketed to. And I mean, it's, it's obvious because the money printers are selling their product. Their product is debt, of course, but fiat money and debt, they're all kind of interchangeable words here, but that's their, what their product is. And so they're selling this to you. They want to sell this to you. So they have to very subtly change society. They, they very subtly change your preferences towards uh, materialism, consumerism, and getting the higher paycheck, all this stuff, because you're chasing their product. We've been lied to this whole time. And once that gets devalued, once it's a devalued government, it's a devalued system, hopefully our uh, perceptions will be snapped back into place and that we can start seeing the world from a more of a low time preference thing. We're happy that we have the family that we do because we just lived through a pandemic. And so the things that are really important in life, your uh, neighbors, your friends, your family, your community, that gets a higher valuation and it breeds a longer term or a low time preference. Of course, Bitcoin fixes this too, right? Because um, Bitcoin is resistant to traditional financialization and fractional reserve. It's not impossible altogether. There, you know, you can have pockets of this happen, uh, but it won't, it can't happen on a systemic basis. Okay, there's 21 million. We know there's 21 million. So if there's some derivatives and things, people uh, can take delivery of their Bitcoin or hold their private keys. And that is why it won't go systemic. Much easier to do that than, than gold. It is resistant to the traditional financialization and fractional reserve. So Bitcoin does fix this in a way. All right. That's all I have for this one, guys. <laughs> Quick one. Uh, I don't know how quick it is. I have to see how long I've been jabbering on, but a pretty quick one. That's all I have for this episode. Don't forget to subscribe. Next episode will be coming out soon. Uh, and this is a listener-supported podcast. I have 65 supporters on Patreon. I'm trying to get up to 100, so check that out. Support my content. I know the times are tight and tough right now, but uh, you can join the Discord. You can get involved with uh, my small little community here. So thank you, guys. See you next time.